Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you. I will answer now so I don't get the thousand questions. Um, I was invited to play in uh, something called a quadrilla prawn. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it was yesterday. It's through Hillsong Phoenix, and they, uh, um, it was money to raise for foster care and adoption. And essentially, in one day, you play um, a softball tournament, a basketball tournament, a, a volleyball tournament, and a dodgeball tournament. It's all day Saturday. And um, the first one was softball. I got two games in a softball, and I was like, I don't need a warm-up. Let's do this, right? And my body was like, hey, bro, we don't do it like that anymore, okay? And so the most classic old man thing you can do, pull a hammy playing softball. That's what happened, okay? FYI, that's, that's what happened. I feel like I'm all right, but anyway. Um, well, uh, welcome. Up. If you're new, my name's Sean. Um, you have faced the, the virus known as corona to come here. Appreciate that. Um, uh, this is Redemption Peoria. Redemption uh, Peoria is part of Redemption Church, which is nine different congregations uh, throughout the state of Arizona. Um, each congregation looks a little bit different, if you have questions about that. Uh, we're all elder-led and lead pastor-led, but um, we feel like we want to look like our context, and so this is what redemption looks like in the context that we're in. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. We've got a lot to cover, but here's what I want you to know if you are new or you weren't with us the last couple weeks. Normally, we go through the Bible, right? That's the best way we feel like to understand it is go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But there are seasons, maybe once or twice a year, where we stop and we talk about a topic that we feel like is worth talking about, um, either culturally or something going on within a congregation, whatever it is. And as we looked at the the big leadership of us, we looked at um, just Redemption Church, we felt like there were some things that we wanted to um, kind of put a a flag in the sand and say, here's where we are. This is, um, where we stand on these issues. And, um, these seven issues that we wanted to address, um, we're calling these counter counter cultural, um, convictions that we have. Originally, we even talked about saying like, here, right here, we stand or something weird like that, but we just just call it what it is. These are, um, these are statements or, or things that we view theological ideas that we hold to, uh, that are different from the culture at large and honestly, the culture within the church, the, the, the big C church, right? And so what that looks like is us to navigate different ways. And we're going to be honing in a little bit more and more and more. But we started this whole thing talking about love. John Demeter talked about love to kind of um, remind us, listen, making a stand um, on a truth, right? Um, especially according to the word, which we're going to get into today, um, is a loving thing to do. And so what we talked about last week is to say, here's our sin. Just to be clear, no matter what the world out, out, at large thinks out, outside of us, um, Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who can save. He's the only um, um, person who brings about salvation. There's no other name by which we can call on that saves us. That's it. That's our stand. We want to be clear. If you're in here, and maybe you're not a believer and you don't believe that, that's fine. We're glad you're here. But where we stand as a church, this is where it's at. And so we 
we're going to continue to hone in more and more. Um, And today, we're going to make this declaration that we believe the Bible is the ultimate authority for us. Okay, So that's another stand that we recognize um, the culture at large does not hold to. Okay, And so we're going to talk through um, all all that and what that means. So I'm going to pray for us uh, to to jump in, make sure that God um, would illuminate the text. We're going to be going through a lot of different texts. When you do something like this, it's not always easy because we're going to be all over the place, but I want to read a passage from 2 Timothy. So let me pray for us that God would be with us. Uh, Father, thank you just for the opportunity for us to gather together. Um, as silly as it is, I, I pray, God, whatever um, yeah, boldness we came, people maybe be worrying about germs being you know, transferred or whatever it is, I pray that this would just be a safe haven, that you'd be here for us. Um, uh, just as we take communion together, as we listen to the word together, as we sing together, that this time would honor you. Um, but right now, we're, we're looking to um, make a declaration as a congregation that we stand on your word, and we want um, all the verses that are shared to um, really permeate our heart and stick. I, I pray for every single person in this room that there would at least be one verse that just, I'm, it's a magnet to their heart, and they walk out of here, and they don't have to try to memorize it. They just hear it, and they know it. I pray that that would be true. Help us now. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I um, jump in, I'm going to start and end our time with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Okay, I haven't quoted him at all uh, in this series so far, so I feel like that would be a good place. And his quote is helpful because I'm a little hesitant as we jump into this idea of um, kind of defending the authority of Scripture. Uh, because I think his, his uh, quote gets at, his statement gets at um, kind of like, uh, well, here's where I stand and I just want you to know. It's a very small quote. Both quotes on the front and back are really small. He says this, Scripture is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion? Just turn it loose. It will defend itself. So the reality is I I feel like just um, an upfront kind of preface to go, there's nothing I can do if you're not in here and you don't believe the Bible's word of God to convince you that it's the word of God. And the reality is the Bible doesn't need me or you to defend the Bible. And it definitely doesn't need us to defend its authority. It is what it is. And we're going to get into all the nuance of that. But the reality is his point is nobody goes like, get back from the lion. Like it's, it's, it's just, what did it do to you, right? Like if a lion's loose, a lion's loose, right? And so you want to let the Bible read it, see it, and just see what it does. And and that's kind of the idea that um, I thought was helpful. So with that being said, what's going to set a trajectory for us is this passage in 2 Timothy. I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to explain why, because I want to remind you, we're not really necessarily breaking down this text as much as I would love to, and I'd love to go through 2 Timothy someday. I want you to see the the tone of what Paul is getting at when he's talking with Timothy, because that's going to help us understand why we're talking about the Bible being the ultimate authority. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 1 through 5, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is, the judge, who, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, uh, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So just to be clear, a lot of you guys have probably heard that before. All those words there are what is in Greek called imperatives. They're commands. And it's all contingent on uh, this preaching of the word. So with the word, we're to um, be ready in season and out of season. We're to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and, uh, and complete with patience and teaching. And then verses 3 and 4 where, is where I want to sit on um, uh, kind of in and out of this sermon. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Here's the statements. No matter... 
no matter what you are, based on this text, what teachers you're trying to accumulate, you can see at the end of four, what myths may be put on the table, wherever someone might wander off, whatever reason they might turn away, here's what we're saying. All of those things on the table, we're saying scripture has the ultimate authority over all those things. All philosophies, all ideologies, scripture is ultimate in this sense, okay? Now, for us to do this, for us to really begin to unpack what we're going to get at to define this, you need to understand a few things. Number one, we believe that God is the ultimate authority, okay? God is the ultimate authority. As believers, our stance is God is the ultimate authority. Great quote, or or a verse in Isaiah 45, 18, it says this, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, um, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be in, in, uh, formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So this declaration kind of peeling off what we talked about last week, we're recognizing God is the ultimate authority. And from there, we're looking at his word. So when we pick up the Bible, we're not just saying it's just because it's a bunch of sayings that we believe is the ultimate authority. No, no, no. The authority lies in God. And we're saying scripture has its authority found in that idea that God being the ultimate authority. Number two, when we go to uh, go at a topic like addressing, hey, let's look at the Bible and let's say that it's the ultimate authority. There's two ways to go about this. Number one, there's internal evidence, meaning we look at scripture. What does scripture say about the Bible being the ultimate authority? Number two, there's external evidence, meaning we look at um, anything outside of scripture. We use all scientific tools possible available to, our, uh, to us uh, through resources or whatever it is. And then we go, here's how we arrive there. I want to say this from the front. Um, we're not going to use external evidence this morning. Not because we don't think it's helpful. Um, there's a few reasons we're doing this. Number one, we've done that before. Um, and it's as helpful as that was. We don't feel like um, someone's faith has grown. If I show you how many manuscripts are up here, there's an insane amount of resources. As a matter of fact, my Greek professor uh, just came out as part of a book that is just uh, goes at how we understand textual criticism. There's so many ways we can look at the Bible and be sure, sure, sure that it is what we had in the original manuscripts. But the thing is, that's not what we're doing today. We're not trying to look at the reliability of scripture. We're trying to look at the authority of scripture. And so this causes a, a little problem because we're going to use internal evidence to affirm that as believers. But if you're sitting there, you might go, well, wait a minute, that's circular reasoning. I mean, here, here, I mean, I want to acknowledge it. Here's the reality. What, what I'm going to do from this point on is I'm going to explain that the Bible is the ultimate authority. And I'm going to explain that the Bible is the ultimate authority because the ultimate authority, that is the Bible, says it's the ultimate authority. Well, yeah, but why do you trust the Bible? Well, because it's the ultimate authority. Well, who says it's the ultimate authority? Well, the Bible says it's the ultimate authority. Okay. Now, I want to acknowledge this is a form of circular reasoning. So, so um, I want to go on a, just a quick caveat real quick to explain why we're doing this and how we're okay with doing this. And I know that there might be skeptics in the, uh, uh, in the congregation right now, and that's okay. I want you to hear why we're at least understanding the apologetic in which we're taking. To do this, a lot of you guys know... Um, Grudem, Wayne Grudem was a huge uh, piece of me understanding not just Reformed theology, but really um, bracketing systematic theology. I want to read a quote from his book, uh, his systematic theology book, which is wildly popular, or at least was years ago. Um, he acknowledges this fact in, in using circular reasoning. He says this, it should be admitted that this is a kind of circular argument. However, 
that does not make it uh, that does not uh, make its use invalid. For all arguments for an absolute authority must ultimately appeal to that authority for proof. Otherwise, the authority would not be an absolute highest authority. You're already tracking, aren't you? Okay. This problem is not unique to the Christian who is arguing for the authority of the Bible. Everyone, either implicitly or explicitly, uh, uses some kind of circular argument when defending his or her ultimate authority for belief. Although these argument, although these circular arguments, arguments are not always made explicit and are sometimes hidden beneath lengthy discussions or uh, simply assumed without proof, arguments for ultimate authority in their most basic form take on a similar circular appeal to that authority itself. Meaning this, if I say the Bible's the ultimate authority because logically it is true, okay? Here's what maybe you're sitting in the crowd and you go, well, logic, if something is, we're using logic, yeah, well, why is logic the ultimate authority? Well, because it's logical to use logic. Or if I say reason, right? Reason's a huge thing, right? Which we would hold to. If we go to reason, we go, well, why is reason the ultimate authority? Well, because it's reasonable to hold to reason, right? And so whatever it is, there's always this idea, and there's nuances to this that we can get out that I don't have time for. My point being that we're going to go to Scripture because Scripture says it, right? And then this, this causes a problem. If all arguments are circular arguments in this way for an appeal of ultimate authority, how do we know which one to pick? And Grudem ends up acknowledging this as well. He says this, how then does a Christian or anyone else choose among the various claims for absolute authority? Authorities, ultimately the truthfulness of the Bible will commend itself as being far more uh, uh, persuasive than other religious books, such as the Book of Mormon or the Quran, or any other intellectual construction of of the human mind, such as logic, human uh, reason, sense, experience, scientific methodology, etc. It will be more uh, persuasive because in the actual experience of life, all of these other candidates for ultimate authority are seen to be inconsistent or have shortcomings that disqualify them, while the Bible will be seen to be fully in accord with all that we know about the world around us, about ourselves, and about God. Okay, so this is where it becomes tricky. Um, What we're not saying is throw away reason and throw away logic. I'm not pitting up reason um, against Scripture, right? That would be foolish. Even Luther would say, unless I'm convinced by Scripture or plain reason, and plain reason to put these things together. The the best way I can probably explain this is, um, if you were to see four little humans walk up on the stage right now, and their names were Corbin, Titus, Eve, and Anna, those would be my children. Hear me, I am their father. I'm their father. If you ask them who's their father, they're going to say me. If you ask me who's their father, I'm going to say me. If you ask their mother, it's me. But someone maybe in the crowd would go, wait a minute, I don't believe you're their father. Now, fortunately, here's the reality. We have medical records. We have government documentation to prove I am their father. But this is tricky because the medical records and the government documentation isn't what makes me their father. It's helpful. It's absolutely helpful. If those things um, push back or correspond, it's definitely worth the conversation, but that's not what makes me their father. And so I'm not arguing and pushing away logic or reason. My point being, as we look at all these things, where we have to appeal to is if we have to say that scripture says scripture is the ultimate authority, because if anything else we look to and go, well, that's why it's the ultimate authority. That's the ultimate authority. And we're saying those things help us understand and see that. Okay. Now, that may be super wildly uh, uh, convoluted and complicated. So let me just say this in light of all that. Let me go overly spiritual for a second. Here's the reality, though. There's nothing I can say in arguing internal, external evidence, as I said from the front, that I can do, hear me, ultimately, this is only the work of the Holy Spirit. 
only God can let you see this. And I understand if you're sitting there, right, that's super subjective. You're going, well, that's what Mormons say. That's what Muslims say. I get it. I absolutely get it. But I'm saying as we look at this here, here's, I can't convince you of that. And that is something we have to acknowledge. I cannot make you see that because the reality is our minds are broken. In a perfect world, if we could see clearly, I doubt not for a second that everyone would see that the Bible is the ultimate authority because God being the ultimate authority, but we're not. Our reason's broken. Our logic is broken. There's inconsistencies in scientific methodology. It just is. And so as we look, we go, only the spirit can do this. Caveat done. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to look to the text and I want to go, okay, as believers, what's a countercultural statement? Let's look at the world at large around us. And we're saying no matter what anyone says, scripture is the ultimate authority. There's a great book. If you want to look, look it up, um, super helpful. And if you don't know this about John Piper, Desiring God books, um, they're all free. If you go to Desiring God, but John Piper came out with a book called the peculiar glory that is on scripture. You guys, it's super easy to read. And again, you can download the PDF for free on Desiring God. Uh, and it's just, it goes at so many arguments that maybe you want to get into, but it gets at a lot of this. Let me read a part from the book. I found it helpful reading it, uh, preparing for the sermon. He says this, if we are going to pursue an answer to that question, the question is God's um, word, the ultimate authority, then it would be wise to consult with the Bible first to see what it claims for itself. In fact, we are not the ones who initiated this interaction with the Bible. The Bible was there first. The Bible itself was making claims for itself and making claims on us. Before we ever decided to engage with the Bible, God's word does not wait for us to give its permission to be God's word. This is great. If it is God's word, it is God's word with or without us. And so that's our claim. It is God's word. Now, um, a kind of running definition so we understand what we're doing here, okay? I want to define when we say God's word what that is, and I want to define what I mean by ultimate authority, okay? Because that's what we're going to look at the text to, to do this. When I say ultimate authority, we'll work backwards. When I say ultimate authority, we had to say this when we went through the five solas. Um, we don't mean only authority, meaning nobody should go to work tomorrow. Your boss asks you to do something like, you ain't my ultimate authority, Okay. Um, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying it's the only authority. The reality is, um, we have to kind of navigate other authorities. And so I wanted to give a definition of ultimate authority, but I didn't find it helpful because there are multiple ways to even, if you type into Google ultimate authority, you can think of it in the areas of business or whatever it is, science, however you want to process. So rather I just, this quick statement that I thought when we're talking about ultimate authority in relationships with other authorities. Okay. And so this is what I came up with. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's not, but this is just a running definition in that idea. When we're talking about ultimate authority in relationship with other authorities, what I'm trying to say is it's the supreme authority that we as believers use to determine the following of other authorities, okay? Meaning this, um, scripture is gonna tell us to work wholeheartedly for the Lord and to submit to our boss. Our boss is our boss. And so we submit to them and we work hard for them. That's a good thing. But, and this is a classic example, but if your boss is asking you to sling cane, like sell drugs, Don't do that. There's an ultimate authority that would say, no, I I can't do that, right? This is true in the areas of logic. This is true in the area of reason. This isn't true in the area of politics, in the area of parenting. There are all these other things that we're bound to, right? We're held to, um, whether it be physical or metaphysical, whatever it is. And we go, well, this is true, but it's not the ultimate authority. What I'm trying to say is there's a supreme authority over those authorities, i.e. found in God and then given to us in his word. Okay, so that's when I'm using the language of ultimate authority, that's what I'm trying to say. The second thing is when I say God's word, what do I mean? Okay. 
Um, and we're not going to spend too much time in this, but there's, uh, it's at least worth acknowledging. There's a lot of ways that we see God interacting with humans. Multiple times you see in scripture where, God, where uh, um, it says, thus saith the Lord. Matter of fact, in uh, Jeremiah 32, it says this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Just right there. So Jeremiah 32, uh, 30 verse 2. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Here's what God says. He's going to speak. So whatever he says, he's the ultimate authority, right? And then it says, write in a, a book all the words that I have spoken to you. This is how we got the book of Jeremiah. The idea is that we have a compilation of books based on when the thus saith the Lord, or sometimes it's narrative. As we see in Exodus 34, 27, God tells Moses to write down the entire narrative that we talked about in the book of Exodus. So God's using all these different ways. And we'll get to Jesus here in a little bit, but there's also ways I want to acknowledge that God still speaks today. And this is beautiful. As God breathed out to Jeremiah, God breathed out. There are moments where God absolutely speaks through circumstances. God goes, whoa. God speaks through each other. Like there's something that God is using and he speaks to you through your neighbor, through someone in your community, whoever it is. Um, God speaks us through nature. This is in Romans 1, Psalm 19. I mean, uh, Calvin and and, uh, St. Francis of Assisi were huge advocates of this idea. God speaks to us through nature as well. But in light of all of those things, here's what's really, really, really good news. As God speaks to us, he's breathing out, right? When we speak, we breathe out. As he speaks to us, in light of all that, he actually breathes out something that we can hold, something we can read. And this is helpful for us. This is um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're going to be doing a lot of turning, if you haven't already figured that out already. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 specifically, And I think 14 through 16 is helpful, uh, but I'll start in 15. It says this, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Hear this, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's good news for us. Um, As your neighbor says, hey, listen, I feel like God's telling me something, or uh, you look at nature, you go, it's hard to decipher, but I feel like God is speaking to me in this way. As we look in all that, the good news is God has breathed out in light of all those things, something very tangible, scripture. And so what we have is we have something that we can see in light of nature, see in light of our friends or our our, uh, community members. We can see as, and and this is what they're saying. We go, okay, you're saying that, but it seems inconsistent with something that he said before, i.e. what he has breathed out, right? And so what we're doing when we talk about scripture ultimately um, is we're talking about these 66 books that we have in the Bible. The 39 books in the Old Testament, which I, I would argue, as you see in 15, that sacred writing that Paul's talking about, I think that's what he's referring to. And then the 27 books in the New Testament. And, and these 27 books in the New Testament, here's what we hold to if you're, if you're not aware of this, maybe as a believer or not as a believer. We hold to the fact that Jesus, being God in the flesh, again, we're going to talk about this, as he comes to the earth, he has authority to give commands. He has authority to speak as God, because he is God. And in doing so, what he does is he gives his disciples, these apostles, the ability to do this. So as scripture, our lineage as believers, we're looking to what the apostles have said. This comes from, and I'll just read a a few of them to you. For example, in Ephesians 2.20, it says that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In Acts 1.2, it says this, he, being Jesus, 
had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He chose these apostles and he gives these commands to them. And so what the early church is doing in Acts 2 is they're going, well, what did the apostles say? Because whatever the apostles said, that's what Jesus said, right? But not only that, in Matthew 28, 18, as he looks at the disciples, he says, go make our disciples, right? And he he, uh, lays out this master plan that's totally been misunderstood, verses 16 through 18. And he makes this declaration, all that I have commanded you. And he's talking to the disciples. As, as I've commanded you, these, now these apostles, go to the nations, right? And then lastly, we can see in Matthew 10, 14, I want, listen to this, this is tricky. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, he's talking to the disciples again, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a big weight. That's not you and I, if we tell someone something and they don't listen, then they're going, well, you're, that sucks for you on judgment day, right? You don't have that kind of authority. But what we believe is Jesus gave the, the disciples, the apostles, this authority. And so the 27 books in the New Testament are all correlated and connected to those apostles. Any writing outside of a connection to those apostles, we would say is not scripture. So when I say the Bible, when I say uh, scripture is the ultimate authority, that's what we mean by ultimate authority. And that's what we mean about the Bible. These 66 books that that you hold in your hand there. Okay. With that being said, let's read some things on um, what the Bible says about itself. And I hope this encourages you. Um, I hope in a lot of ways, there's hundreds of verses that I can share, but we're only going to sit on probably four or five that you can see that as you walk out of here, you have confidence no matter what the culture says about sexuality, no matter what the culture says about always getting to God. No matter what the culture says about homosexuality, about treatment of the poor, about Republican or Democrat, hopefully you can walk out of here and you go, I have what God said. And whatever God said, I do. This is what, um, to start in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, here's what the word says about the word. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's not just perfect, but it's sure. You can be sure this is true, right? We'll get into the truth part of it. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Do you hear this? It's not like sometimes right, not middle muddy ground right. They're right. What the precepts of the Lord say, they're right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous Altogether, if you hear nothing else, listen, the word of the Lord was just described as perfect, right, clean, sure, pure, and true. Here's what you have. There's no other authority that scripture would give us that claims it in that way. What you have in your hand is what's right, it's what's pure, and it's what's true. That's the Bible's claim about itself. You can also see this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 through 20. I want you to hear the tone of authority when we go against the Bible. This is what it says in verse 18. Uh, I don't think I have this on the text. You'll just have to pay attention here. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. So this is going back to the Old Testament, God speaking through a prophet. He will tell them everything I command him. Here it is, verse 19. I myself will call to account Everyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So you, as being the, here it is, scripture just made a claim that you will stand before God based on what he said. And in the context here for Israel, they're going to go, this prophet says, we have scripture, right? But they had prophets. These people are coming and talking to them. If we don't listen here, we're going to have to stand before God in judgment. That's an ultimate authority statement. 
It's nothing else you're standing before God for, but his word here. Um, Psalm 12, uh, 6, I think this just is beautiful. Listen to how it uh, refines wor- uh, the Bible. The words of the Lord are pure, words like uh, silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. What this text is saying is, listen, here's what you can know. Um, cultures will come and go. Economies will come and go. Viruses will come and go. People will come and go. Doesn't matter. Ideas, philosophies, politics will come and go. What has stood the test of time, what has been purified seven times, which is perfect, is God's word. What God says has been true, true, true for every culture, for every idea, for every philosophy. It's been purified in this declaration seven times is this idea of perfection. It's been purified. It's tried. It's tested. It's true. If you honestly want to look at Uh, any part of scripture. There's no other um, chapter in the Bible uh, better to do this than Psalm 119. It's the largest text, um, largest chapter in our entire Bible, and the entire thing uh, is written on God's word. It's 172 verses. It's broken up into eight different sections, and in those eight different sections, what it's doing, it's actually going through, and we miss this sometimes because we don't know the original languages, um, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, right? So as if it would be A, God's word is always so amazing. B, right? But don't forget that it's what, you know what I mean? Okay. So like what it's doing is it's going through the the Hebrew alphabet in these, these sections and it gives eight verses in each one. And it's over and over and over again, reminding us that God's word holds us accountable. God's word encourages us. God's word directs our path. It's so great. I mean, I know it's a large chapter, but it is worth, I I remember um, uh, memorizing it when I was probably 21. I cannot quote it to you right now, but I remember thinking this is a beast, right? But number two, there were moments where I was like processing, do I want to read my Bible? How do I feel about the Bible? And verses would come to mind, right? Like just, just there. And even to this day, there's verses 18 through 20 I have memorized. I just, it's just there. So I'd encourage you, go in there and read see what it says about the Bible. So there's moments where you're going, man, here's how I feel about scripture. Let the Bible remind you how you should feel about scripture. There's actually a great verse in there. I think this sums up Psalm 119 really, really well. This is what it says in Psalm 119, verse 16. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What Psalm 119 is doing is it's giving us this x-ray. As we read scripture, this is what it should be doing. There's a great quote from uh, an English poet named Samuel uh, Taylor. He says this, I have found in the words of the Bible, my innermost thoughts, songs, my joy, utterances for my hidden grief, and the pleading for my shame and feebleness. Inside the text, all this being said, what is self-affirming about it being the ultimate authority, what it does is it's so powerful. If you're a believer in this room and you follow Jesus Christ, I'd be willing to bet my house that there has been a moment where you have read the Bible and you go, oh my gosh, like you just feel like you melt. Like there's been like a, a spotlight put on you and you go, you see this? You see this? Like, and you're thinking to yourself, I've read this a thousand times. Why did this? Something happens that there's this spiritual life and it's, it's beautiful. It's powerful. And what, the t- what we have in the text here is, is this reminder in Psalm 119 is this is what it's supposed to do. This is what's supposed to come out of us. The Bible is, in compared to all other books, is so powerful. As a matter of fact, humanity has recognized this fact, that there's something unique about this. Listen to this. This is a crazy stat that I got from uh, uh, Josh McDowell. He says this. Just track with the, with the numbers. If you were to take all of the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, public, uh, publications, uh, which is about 150 million copies, all of C.S. Lewis writings, all the Goosebumps novels, um, chicken, soup for, chicken Soup for the Soul, all the Harry Potter, 
oh my goodness, Harry Potter books, The Da Vinci Code, Purpose Driven Life, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Little Prince, uh, The Book of Mormon. If you were to take all these books, which are major books that have been published, and you're going to pile all the publications into a pile somewhere, it would be half the size of how much the Bible has been published. Humanity has recognized that the Bible is something to be reckoned with. It is this authority that guides us, and when we submit to it, it's good news for our soul. And so I wanted to ask a, a question ultimately in light of um, you know, Matthew 24, 25, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your, lo- your word will endure forever. Why is this important? Why take a Sunday um, to kind of navigate this conversation? As, if we're to look at text and go, Scripture is the ultimate authority, well, why does that matter? I thought of six different things that would be helpful. Some of them I found from uh, other uh, commentaries, but a lot of these are mine that I just wanted to process with us as a congregation. Number one, this is good news if Scripture is the ultimate authority, because the Bible, being the ultimate authority, frees you from slavery of self. I think there's a lot of reasons that anxiety and depression are on the rise, but one of which is we've, become, we've tried to become so self-autonomous that we're trying to figure out all the answers. And all the while, God has given us this word, and it frees us from this idolatry of looking at ourselves. And we go, here's what scripture points to. Number two, um, many in our day deny the existence of not just truth itself, ultimate truth itself, but ultimate authority itself. Matter of fact, a lot of these ideas come from Frederick Nietzsche. Um, and he has this quote, and some of you might be aware of it, but um, some of you feel it. You anarchists in the room, you feel it to, this, to some extent. And this is one of Nietzsche's claims. He says that all claims to know what is true are in reality covert attempts to manipulate people. Okay? And what we're seeing is the Bible's the ultimate authority, the declaration of the ultimate authority, this is what's true. You're just trying to manipulate people, right? And what we're doing is we got to be careful of that. I'm telling you, the, the end game there is all bad. It's all bad. It's for you to be self-autonomous, there is no truth. I mean, having hundreds of conversations like this, I've only seen this play out to, to, to bad. Okay, number three, um, knowing the Bible uh, is the ultimate authority um, helps us in um, connecting with the idea that there are competing books out there. Okay, what I mean by that is if you look at the Book of Mormon, you look at the Quran, um, you look at even Jehovah's Witnesses, the Book of Mormon, they have another book, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses have a certain translation, the New World Translation, that is far different than our translation. Um, if you were to look at uh, liberal Christianity, they pick and choose what they want in Scripture. And so what it's wise for us to do is, in light of all of those things, not to be anti-Jehovah's Witness, anti-Mormon, anti-liberalism, but rather go, we're pro-Bible, and, and here's where we stand here. There might be some things that we agree on, but wherever you go astray, we know that this is our connecting point. In the same way that is true of your marriage or your parenting. One parent goes, I don't want to spank. The other parent goes, well, I do want to spank. And they're right, right? And so they should do that because that's what the Bible says, okay? Okay. Number four, number four, the idea of the Bible um, being the ultimate authority, the reason this is important is it's not just countercultural to the world at large anymore, you guys. Matter of fact, Gallup came out with a, a poll in 2019 that said 40% of people who claim to be Christian don't believe the Bible is God's word. Hear me, 40%. Now you may go, well, people claim to be Christian, they're probably not Christian. Like, well, that's a judgment call. Yes, I'm definitely judging them. But like the reality is maybe let's, let's just cut off some, like let's cut off a third of those people who say they're Christian but don't really know what they believe. They're just because it's America. Even if that's true, even if that's the case, there's a large group of people who, who are following Jesus or think they're following Jesus and go, I don't believe the Bible is the ultimate authority. I don't see it as God's word. That, that, that's an issue. 
And so it's important for us to know where we stand on this because our declaration to be counterculture isn't just out there. It's also recognition that it's that's within the church. Number five, in every generation, there's going to be new creative tax, uh, attacks against the Bible. Um, and, and we can go on and on about all these things. That, that probably the greatest voice right now is Bart Ehrman, who has multiple books, um, who was a believer and a pastor at one point in his life, and came to now just write all these books attacking Scripture. The Bart Ehrmans of the world will come and go. And even as we believers solve those issues, we go, actually, here's what you're wrong. And, and um, I've only read one of Ehrman's books before. But even not knowing, like there's high intellectual conversations that I feel lost in. Even as I look to other resources, it's clear that people are misconstruing truth uh, to get what they want to get to. Even if we answer all of those things, it doesn't matter. Hear me. If you're 20, year, 20 years old in this room, or my son's uh, 12 years old in this room, in 2035, in 2040, in 2050, someone else will come up with something else to come against this ultimate authority. And it's good for us to know where we stand on this. There's always answers, always answers, right? Richard Claus, if you don't know who he is, has most of them. But um, if, if, if you want to dive into some of that, okay? Number six, and lastly, um, this, is, this matters because if it's true, if it's true that the Bible is the ultimate authority, then by its very claim, only in Scripture is where you will find the message of salvation. And that connects us to last week. There's no other book, there's no other authority that we will find salvation in, in the same way that we find the person of Jesus. Listen to this. Um, in uh, Psalm 96.5, it says this, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The Lord did that. All of them, everything else is idols. Now listen to this, uh, uh, jump to this. In John 6, 66 and 68, Jesus said, therefore to this, uh, uh, Jesus said, therefore to the disciples, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You ready? You have the words of eternal life. In scripture, this is where we turn and we start to wrap this thing up. In scripture, what we find is what we talked about last week. To understand the Bible is to understand the person of Jesus. And so maybe you come in this room and you have all these ideas of what Jesus should be like and what he is like. And here's what's beautiful. No matter what you think or what I think, what we have is a direct message, a breathing out from God that says, this is what Jesus is like. And if this is what Jesus is like, this is where salvation is. Let me read some verses to you so you can kind of track with this. In John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word. This is a very complicated term, this word lagos, um, which we're not going to get into now. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. John five thirty nine. you search the scriptures, this is Jesus talking, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. John 17 uh, and, and uh, John 14, if you ever want to look, look this up, John 14, verse 6, and John 17, verse 17. You can look at how these verses correlate together. Listen to this. In John 14, 6, it says this. Jesus says he is the truth. We quoted this last week. The truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But if you go to John 17, 17, it says this. God's word is truth. Remember reading this, correlating this uh, depiction as Jesus is on his way to the cross, making this declaration, well, what is truth? Jesus is truth, and God's word is truth. And what we find in the, the replication of the New Testament, and what we find as we read it over and over, oh, I get it, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word. 
So what we find is this eternal message, not in any other book, but the highest authority gives us, this is what says, brings about salvation, found in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, we're almost done, verse 3, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the key that unlocks the Bible. So what we find in scripture is that message. It's about Jesus. There's no other book that gives us the right view of salvation outside of the Bible. Outside of the Bible. So I'm going to wrap us up. But as I do, I wanted to make a statement because um, hopefully you will leave here and you'll go, I need to know this thing more. I want to read this thing. If this is what it's, it's claimed, I mean, we're either crazy or it's true, right? And so we have, what we got here is to say, I need to know scripture. I, I need you to know this from, from up front about this ultimate authority. There's two things I want you to be aware of. Number one, scripture assumes you know scripture. Scripture is going to assume that. Meaning it's going to tell you to meditate on it. Yes and Amen. Because you're reading it. Matter of fact, Jesus' statements, and you, I found uh, 15, at least 15 of these references in Matthew 12, 3 and 5, in Luke 24, 25. There's multi other accounts. It's, this is how Jesus responds to questions. It says this Have you not read what David did? Or have you not read in the law? Have you not read, Matthew 19, 4, or even on the road to Emmaus, he's talking to uh, these guys. He says, oh, foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, 24, uh, uh, 25 in Luke. The idea that, no, no, you know what they, but you don't, you're not believing what they're saying. You know this. Scripture assumes that you're already in Scripture, okay? So you, you need to understand navigating that. It's hard for something to be the ultimate authority when you don't know it. The second thing that Scripture assumes is that ultimate authority is true for everyone. Okay, now here's what's a trip about this. Everyone, most New Testament books are written to entire congregations. As a matter of fact, there's a few of them that assume children are listening. So as your four and five-year-old, you're raising them to know what is right and wrong. Paul assumes, the Holy Spirit assumes, God assumes in this moment, you're going to read it and you're gonna make scripture even the ultimate authority over your four-year-old, okay? It assumes we know it. Now hear me. Here's where my heart breaks. We just take it for granted. We just take it for granted. And that's hard for myself. That's hard for us as elders. That's hard for us as deacons, as leaders. That you, you, you desire so much for health. And yet ultimately what you're going to find health in is in scripture. And it's hard because it's there. It's so available. You've got it in your phones, hundreds of translations. I mean, the options are endless. Our believers around the world are struggling to find different parts of the text. And here you are so available and we treat it as common. And that's so hard. And so in light of everything you read, there are good things. Yes and amen. I finish us with a Spurgeon quote and then I'm gonna have us... um, um, have this make a prayer at the end. Listen to this small Spurgeon quote in, in light of everything that you can read. You ready? Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. No matter what you do, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thanks for your goodness towards us and even trying to understand and your patience towards us and trying to get the ball rolling maybe in our reading time. 
Um, I repent for us just specifically as a congregation, for us as leaders, for us as members, for us who uh, come here on Sunday, uh, whoever it is, anyone who says they follow you, I repent for us that we have not taken as serious uh, your word as we should have, as, as much as your word tells us we should. I pray um, against apathy. I pray against laziness. I pray against half-heartedness. I pray against lukewarmness when it comes to your text. I pray that we would see it for what it is. We would, we would eat it up. We would find that in it our faith grows, that we would consume it, that it would be um, at the, the, the front of our foreheads and our minds that we would process what's in front of us. It would be a light into our path. In it, we would find wisdom God, in it, we would continue to process what it means to parents, what it means to neighbor, what it means to work. Let us see your word as the ultimate authority beyond all other authorities. We need your help to do this. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.